podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Splendid, one third of the way through the group stage. How have you enjoyed it so far? Um, enjoyed would not be the word I would probably use. It's been okay. I think the standard of football at international level is fairly dire, and I think that's been reflected in a lot of this World Cup. But you are right, we are one third of the way through the group stage, and there is no rest for the wicked. We start the second round of games in the group stage tomorrow. Let's run through today's games then, Carl. Switzerland 1, Cameroon 0. The Swiss getting their obligatory obligatory win. Uh, Brie Bolo scoring against the nation he could have represented in a 1-0 victory that saw most, most of the usual suspects play for our Swiss friends, but no Fabian Scher. He was left on the bench, and your friend Harris Safarovic coming off the bench, not a starter for this one. What did you think of the Swiss? What did you think of Cameroon? And what did you think of the game? Um, I thought the game was a little bit ragged for quite a lot of it. Uh, it was mostly played out the way we expected, you know, lots of possession for the Swiss. Cameroon pretty dangerous on the counter uh, attack at times, but. Lacking that sort of little bit of quality through the thirds, I think, for Cameroon. Um, there was lots of endeavour, but I do think that, you know, half of this team is quite good and the other half is quite not good, to be honest. Uh, so they're a little bit in between. I think if they get a little bit fortunate in some games, maybe they can get a, a surprise result or take points off somebody who is trying to go through. But I do think that they are the weakest uh, team in that group, to be unfortunately honest. Um, Switzerland... Like I say, they're pretty much exactly as you expect. We know everything that we're going to get from Switzerland. Obviously, one or two surprises in terms of the team. Everybody had a good enough game, I think. So not the end of the world that Cher didn't play. I just think that Cher has had a particularly good season. Um, Harris Safarovic came on, was poor. No surprises again. He'll get a hat-trick in the next game, don't you worry. Uh, Yeah, I thought it was a bit of a dull affair, to be honest. And it kind of fit in with a lot of the World Cup games, particularly a lot of the ones that are on earlier in the day. Second game then, Uruguay nil, South Korea nil. South Korea lining up with Kim in goal, Kim at right back, Kim and Kim at centre back, and Kim at left back. Which defender do you think stood out, Carl? Kim and Kim were both pretty good, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Yeah, to be fair, I thought they defended quite well. I did think Uruguay made it quite easy for them, though. The lack of progressive passing from midfield was quite startling. I'm not really sure why there was a need to start Vicino with Valverde and Bentancourt. 
and then bring on De La Cruz, surely you look to put a little bit of creativity in the team. Yeah, I think uh, I mean I think the setup of of Uruguay was unnecessarily rigid to begin with. To be honest, um, I guess you know first game, and we've seen this from quite a few of them already that they want to be a little bit reserved with what they're doing and make sure they stay. And especially when it's that kind of second versus third expected kind of pair playing each other, uh, they just want to make sure that they've they've not ruled themselves out basically. Um, it was okay. I think both of them could have gone for it a lot more than they did. Um, I was a little bit disappointed with Uruguay's progression through the third. I think they had to change the system a bit earlier than they did in the end. Uh, but then again, when they did, they were able to get a couple more players into better forward areas and they looked a much better side. So I think uh, quite a few teams here at this World Cup might have maybe started with one plan and had the second uh, you know, plan B sort of for the in-game switch, which would make them a bit more offensive. And actually it's made them a lot more dangerous and a lot more fluid. Uh, mm. Some of the times that's been how they normally play and how they actually got here. So hopefully second round of games, we will see that a little bit more often. Yeah, yeah, hopefully so. Uh, I did think it was an interesting and brave tactical decision to go with Martin Caceres and Diego Godin as the right side of a defence in an international tournament in the year of our Lord, 20 and 22. Uh, the slowest flank I have ever seen up against Youngman's son. Uh, they should just be very, very thankful that son had an off day. Uh, I did think Uruguay were slightly the better team, but South Korea missed the biggest chance of the game and maybe they will come to rue that one. Moving on, Portugal 3. Ghana 2. This game was a bit of a non-event until the 65, 65th minute when Cristiano Ronaldo flung himself to the ground, was bizarrely given a penalty, and then somehow VAR didn't interject. He stepped up and scored. It's his, it's his. He becomes the first person to score at five World Cups. Uh, all of them, it's worth pointing in the group stage. It's eight World Cup goals in total, which when you think about it, isn't all that impressive for a player with his prolific record and to not have a knockout goal in the World Cup yet is quite something. Only the five open play goals for Cristiano and there's been some stat padding in there. Uh, Andre Ayew made it 1-1 on 73. Mohamed Kudus taking advantage of a sleeping Ruben Diaz and Daniel Pereira who both looked comically poor to get in behind, cut the ball back. The ball went through Pereira's legs and AU tapped home. But then the game changed with Joe Felix getting in on the right-hand side. A lovely finish over the goalkeeper. Two minutes later, Bruno Fernandes assists Rafael Leao, who's just come off the bench. And it's a lovely finish into the far bottom corner. Usman Bakari dragged Ghana back in. More comedy defending, this time by Joe Canseo. Bakari scoring and then embarrassing himself and his nation by doing Cristiano's celebration while losing a game. And then in the 99th minute, surprise choice, Diogo Costa in goal, almost gifts Ghana an equaliser. Only for some quick thinking and alert action by Ruben Diaz, Inaki Williams would have stolen a draw for Ghana. I thought Ghana were poor but had some moments and when they started to play their football 
they did carve that Portuguese team open. I don't really know what to make of Portugal from that game, Carl. Defensively, they're all over the place. They get nothing from the fella up front if it's not a tap-in or a penalty. They get the win, but I think there's a lot of red flags there. I thought Portugal were very poor, to be honest. Um, Ghana were everything I expected them to be. Again, we've spoken about them at quite length. You know, they've got a lot of talented individuals, but you can see that there's a real disconnect because this is a completely put together new team. So like early on, like the first 10 minutes or so, they were all over the place. I think Portugal got in behind the, the right flank and between the right and centre, centre of the backs like two or three times in the first 10 minutes. Didn't really do too much with it, but you could just see that there was no not cohesion there, no real understanding, no partnerships have been built up, everything you expect, really. Now, like you say, there were there were a few flashes. There were a couple of nice moves, mostly involving Mohamed Koulos when he was in midfield, uh, where they could move the ball quite quickly, but there were big, big spaces between the defensive line and the attacking line. Like at times, it was like a line of five and then one by himself in the middle and then a line of three further upfield. And it was very, very difficult for them to get out their own half. Again, I think this is just a, a World Cup for them to start putting this team together. It's it's going to be a, a bit of a project for them to build this team for the next World Cup, I think, and anything that they do achieve here is a bonus. And basically defending and, and trying to build up like this, they're not going to get anywhere, really, I don't think. Portugal should have been capable of a lot more. It was very, very... Very narrow with um, Felix and Fernandes just sort of behind and inside of Ronaldo uh, for most of the first part. And it was okay. I didn't mind that. But the problem was that then they were forcing Bernardo Silva to be so deep. He couldn't combine with anybody at all. Ronaldo was worse than useless. Like he had, what, three opportunities, which even, let's say, three years ago, you expect Mm. him probably to score every single one of them. Every single one. And he lost the ball missed the target, lost his footing. The guy is, I'm not going to say finished because obviously he hasn't played and hasn't got any rhythm and all the rest of it, but way, way, way below the level that he was. And if they had a different alignment of attack here without him playing, I think they would have wiped the floor with Ghana, to be brutally honest. Um, I don't understand the rationale at all for not playing Rafael Leal in this game, in this attack. I Mm. think without Jota, he's the only one with any speed. He's the only one who can really do um, too much ball carrying other than Jao Felix in that attacking line. I think Fernandez playing in the channel is a little bit wasteful. As soon as he went a lot more central second half, within about 10 minutes, he created three or four chances for them. So I think that there's some easy fixes here for Portugal. Uh, putting Pereira in the nearest bin would be one of them. Yes. Um, Otavio, I think he did okay in spells, but I don't like him and Neves being the other two midfielders with Silva. There's not enough. Uh, aggression in there. I don't think there's not enough ball recovery. There's not enough height, to be perfectly honest. I think Palinha would be a much better starter in there for them as well. Mm. But like I say, as, as they go through the groups, I can see that there are a few easy wins for them in terms of uh, changing the team around, making a few in-game switches, which quite quickly make them better. So a fine start because they got the points, but I thought the performance was pretty poor from them. Yeah, as did I. I thought they just looked they looked quite disjointed. They like you said, they were very, very narrow. You're forcing both Bernardo and Otavio far too deep in the, the roles that you're asking them to play. They'd be much better off in a four two three one with say Neves and either Matias Nunes or Joe Polinho or even William Carvalho as a double pivot. 
Bernardo, Bruno and Rafael Leao behind a front man such as Giancarlo Ramos. But there's not going to be the courage from the manager to remove Cristiano. He's going to play every minute he wants to play, and that's just what it's going to be. Um, Speaking of a lack of courage, no team has disappointed me more in this opening round of fixtures than Serbia, Carl. I thought the lineup was was cowardly. I thought it was lacking at least two of their best players in Dusan Vlahovic and Filip Kostic. Now, Filip Kostic didn't even come off the bench, so I don't know if he's carrying a knock or something, but I don't understand why he wasn't starting. Milenovic is is okay, but he's not a patch on Filip Kostic. And I, I just thought they were very passive they allowed Brazil to play Brazil's game. They didn't try and make them uncomfortable. They didn't try and use the physical advantages they have. And if I was them, I'd be concerned now. Richarlison scores the first on 62 minutes and then scores an early contender for goal of the tournament on 73 minutes. But it's not, I didn't think Brazil were excellent, but I will give credit to Brazil's manager, Tite, for his decision to play Lucas Paqueta in the double pivot in midfield and leave Fred on the bench. I thought that was a brave move, especially considering how poor that defence is individually. It's a defence that's there to be got at. He went with the brave decision and it worked in part because Serbia didn't play with any guts. Yeah, I was a bit uh, frustrated myself, to be honest. I mean, I think uh, Zivkovic playing on the right-hand side had a, a pretty good game as an outlet for them, but they didn't really get enough forward in support. Quite a lot of the time it was... Um, sort of the box midfield basically they effectively had behind Mitrovic so Tadic, Milinkovic, Savic were able to try and join up but they came from quite deep obviously there's not a huge amount of pace there they really didn't put any crosses in at all to be perfectly honest like none at all to try and get Tadic even forward towards from the second line running didn't really give Mitrovic anything to aim at I thought he was poor overall his hold up play was nowhere near what it needed to be when he was quite isolated he kept trying to buy free kicks basically which was a ridiculous uh, attempt. The referee wasn't really giving too many of them either direction. Um, they defended quite well in terms of like you know, spaces and positional work and getting the blocks in first half and all the rest of it. But again, I think a lot of that was down to Brazil's speed of play being a little bit low, other than when it went through Vinicius Junior, who I thought was probably the best player on the pitch for the first yeah. hour. Um, Milinkovic-Savic, goalkeeper variety, I think had a decent game. Uh, Vanya Milinkovic-Savic, maybe for the... Uh, hold on yeah the first goal which he parried sort of back out into a dangerous area you maybe say he could have put it a little bit wider but I think it came quite quickly at him um, and apart from that I think the only one he sort of looked a bit shaky on was Alexandra's long ranger which hit the post he got down quite slow on that one I thought but then he is like nine feet tall so yeah he's, take he's that very that. very big yeah he, he's commanding but he does lack can he, he his feet are very slow and ploddy yeah he is six it, nine yeah, I think in balance, that's probably an OK trade-off considering he's like quite safe with his hands and mm. does dominate well at corners, that kind of thing. Um, I think apart from the, the Neymar shot from a corner, everything else he pretty much caught if it was anywhere near him as well. So I think it's an OK trade-off to have. Um, but, yep, yeah, I wanted a lot more aggression from them, basically. There was good I think, had a pretty good game in midfield. He was like the combative one. He was trying to shut things down and nip in and take the pass but then every time he tried to move forward and play the pass it was rubbish really really mm. poor on the ball I expected a bit more from him to be honest um, Lukic I don't think had a particularly good game in midfield 
I think that's maybe one that they will look to change. Yeah, Ivan Illich might come in for that one. Yeah, and you know, Vlajevic had a knock, so I didn't expect him to play at all. So the fact that he came on fine, didn't do anything fine, you can kind of overlook it. I don't know about Kostic. I had seen nothing about him being injured whatsoever, so I don't know why. Maybe that was just you know keeping their powder dry to be a bit more offensive in the second two games because again they're playing Brazil. You know, it you you kind of go by the name some of the times and set up according to how you think that they will play, and maybe that was just their attempt at being a bit more defensive and see if they can stay in the game until the last 20 minutes or so but it got away from them it did it did and it's unfortunate but you know switzerland and cameroon are their two remaining games they're both winnable games for serbia and uh, they can still find their way through let's move on then to tomorrow's games first up wales who drew 1-1 with the usa and were a little bit fortunate to get that result up against iran in the early game now iran obviously got walloped by england with everything that's going on at home for those players, you do have to wonder, are their heads really in this tournament right now? There's obviously much more important things taking place in their homeland that have been a big distraction in the build-up. And obviously we saw the refusal to sing the national anthem and the, the, the fans you know, booing the national anthem. These type of things are going to have an effect what Iran do we see tomorrow? Because if it's the one that played England, they might as well stay in the dressing room. I would expect them to be a lot more aggressive for starters. Um, not in terms of like snidey fouls, which they did do against England, but I mean, in terms of the closing down and trying to push a little bit higher, I, I sincerely hope for their sake that there's a couple of changes to the lineup so that they can be a bit quicker on transition playing counterattacks. Um, I mean, Sadar Azmoun came off the bench against England, so I assume... The extra four days maybe gives him time to get fully fit enough, let's say, because it was an injury. It's not like he was tired. He didn't play because he was partly injured. So I'm assuming by now he must be okay for an actual start. So if they can get, let's say, Jahan Bakesh, Taremi on the sides and Asmund through the middle, immediately that gives them a little bit more quality in the final third. It gives them a bit better uh, build-up play and link play there. So they've got to try and do something, obviously. They've got to come out and try to get I think they have to try and win this game, to be perfectly honest. If they have hope of getting through, I don't think sitting in and trying to get a draw and taking it to the last game is going to do them any good at all. Uh, so I do expect them to be a little bit more on the front foot, even if they don't you know, go all out attack. It's going to be a bit interesting because both of these generally tend to prefer defending first and counter-attacking later on. Um, one thing you would say for Wales is given obviously we, we don't expect Alareza Biravan to, to play the goalkeeper it's going to be uh, Asani again and I think he looked absolutely dreadful in that first game maybe you know a bit of um, lack of preparation or preparedness or whatever for actually coming on and having the performance but if he plays anything like that again obviously all Wales are going to do is A. let Gareth Bale shoot from wherever he wants and B. play Kiefer Moore yeah, I think the key for more thing is key. I think he has to start because they didn't look like a football team without him on the pitch. Mm. Um, Hosseini, the goalkeeper, I, I'm, you know, I'd need evidence that that fella's actually a goalkeeper and that he didn't just, you know, tag along with the squad. As, as, yeah, someone's best mate, you know, brought along for because he's he's good. He's a bit of banter, good in the dressing room, whatever. And, you know, he's grabbed the, the starting goalkeeper's spare gloves and gone on because there was nobody else. But he's about as bad as I've ever seen. Absolutely dreadful. Um, prediction for Wales versus Iran. If Wales are brave and be 
second half, not first half as they were against the USA, I think that they'll win this. So I'm going to go 2-1 to them. Uh, I think they need to be on the front foot. They need to, not all the time, I don't expect them to like dominate possession, all that kind of crap, but I do expect that from defensive phases, they'd be a lot more uh, inclined and aggressive in terms of getting the wing-backs forwards, to getting some crosses in, to getting people around the second line. At least one of the central midfielders, there's still a bit of debate whether they go with three and Wilson is one of the eights or James plays on the other side of Kiefer Moore or whatever they do. But however Rob Page sets it up, it needs to be with the intention of winning this game. I'm going to go for 2-1 to Wales. Yeah, I think Dan James could actually be important here because that Iranian defence is quite slow. Um, absolute rubbish against uh, USA. They gave him no service into the areas that he actually plays mm. in and, and to what he can do in terms of running channel straight lines but he was also very very poor so he needs to offer the team more he does he, he does look I, what i'll say about dan james is the best way to use him is as a right winger in a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3 or a 4-2-3-1 and not ask him to do too much just ask him to knock it past his fullback run and cross it don't think don't do anything else get past that fullback and knock the ball into the box don't do anything else that he can do very effectively. Everything else is where he has problems. And when he's played on the left, he has serious issues. Uh, moving on then, I will also go for a Welsh win. I'd like I'd like to see a 2-0 Welsh win where Gareth Bale doesn't score because I'd like them to not rely on him in every single game. Uh, moving on, the 1pm kickoff is Qatar versus Senegal. This should be should be a straightforward win. For Senegal, you would think. I mean, we saw nothing from Qatar to suggest that they will do anything of any note, did we? Let's be honest. There was a couple of crosses which led to headers, which could or should have been a goal in the first game. And other than that, nothing. So if Senegal play, again, to win, to attack, and I think that they will do. I think that um, they've shown in the past that they can take the game to anybody, really, at times. But... I do want to see a couple of changes to the team. Um, I think Crepin Diata was uh, perfectly fine in the in the first game, but maybe Bill Idea didn't really have enough support from deep. So I want one of those central midfielders changed. Um, Mendy, Gay, and was it Kiate started in the first game? And yeah, it was there's no need to three of them. No, and in just a game, and Papi Mendy were the ones making the forward runs all the time, and neither of them are any good at anything in the final third. So take at least one of them out, put in a much more offensive number eight or even a number 10 and go for the 4-2-3-1. That's how they're going to dominate play high up, win it back mm. very, very quickly, be a bit better in the final third transition links, all that kind of stuff. If they do that, I say 2-0 Senegal. Yeah, they might have, they probably will have to make one change after Koyate went off injured in the last game. But, you know, like you said, it can't just be like for like, it can't be another holding midfielder. It has to be somebody that can actually make a difference in the final third, drive this team forward through the middle areas Stop relying on Ishmael Assar to pick the ball up and carry it 40 yards. Others need to do a lot more. I'll go with you. I'll, I'll go Senegal win, but to keep things different, I'll go 3-0. Um, the next game then, the 4pm game, sees the Netherlands, who beat Senegal 2-0, despite not being overly impressive, versus Ecuador, who obviously beat Qatar 2-0. This, I think, is going to be a really tough test. Mm. For both sides, because for Ecuador, obviously, it's a step up in the calibre of opposition. But for the Netherlands, I think it's a step up in the type of 
defensive organization they're going to go up against and and the quality of play in that middle third. I thought Ecuador were very impressive in spells in that game against Qatar. I thought Plata and Caicedo in particular were excellent. And the Dutch midfield was nothing short of an abomination in that game against Senegal. It was Frankie all by himself and he didn't have a particularly good game. I don't like Cody Gakpo as a 10. I think it's a nonsense. It doesn't suit him at all. And obviously, Vincent Janssen starting up front was a mess. But the biggest question for the Dutch, aside from does he change things in midfield, is does he leave Matthias de Ligt in again, given he had such a poor game against Senegal and really looked exposed on the right of that back three? Yeah, uh, I would like to see Julian Timber back in. Um, I think he's natural for that right of three, to be honest. Maybe it's... Um, maybe if Enna Valencia was definitely going to start, I could see the, the reasoning behind playing another big one of the three, but Enna Valencia's probably out, given he went off uh, injured, and it's you know not too long between games. Obviously, we've been over that before. I think the, the most exciting... Um, battle here could be on the Ecuador right, Netherlands left, because Daly Blinds' wing-back is, is well, you can use your own words to describe it, to be honest, but I thought Breciado from right-back and Blatter, who we spoke about on right-wing, were very, very exciting, really good link play, really quick as well, doubled up quite a lot, nice one-twos around the, the players that they had to, not a lot to get past against Qatar, obviously, which is fair enough, but again, Daly Blinds doesn't fill me with confidence defensively, um, seeing him trundle forward over the halfway line and look up to cross from 40 yards, again, doesn't really inspire you with too much fear from a, a defensive standpoint. So I think that there are at least a few ways Ecuador can get out the Netherlands. Um, and then, like you say, the, the build-up play has to be so much better. They were really poor for a long, long time. I assume Memphis Depay is going to come back into the lineup. Um, if he plays with Bergwijn, that's better. There's at least movement in both channels then. There's a, a bit better combination play, a bit more speed, just a bit more ability in general than having Janssen on the side. So that should be okay. And obviously now Ecuador's big task or challenge or whatever is how to create and score without Enna Valencia being there because they were very good in the channels and very good in terms of pace and link-up play, but they didn't create loads when they could have done against uh, Qatar, obviously. No, and they're quite conservative as well. And, you know, if the ideal ball isn't on, they'll often just turn back and try and rebuild somewhere else. Without Ener Valencia, I don't know where goals are coming from. Michael Estrada would be one option. He's he's not exactly prolific at the international level. Could it be somebody younger? Could it be Kevin Rodriguez? Could it be Jorge Evriasco? They don't have any goals at international level, but as young, exciting players, maybe they can offer something a little bit different to the team. He may well change it up and go 4-3-3 uh, to try and be a bit more defensively solid. 4-3-3, 4-5-1 is more what it will be. So they might look to play for a draw or a you know a nil-nil or a 1-1. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of what I see happening is I see... Ecuador trying to get a draw here, knowing they've got three points in hand, knowing that the last game against Senegal is likely to be very, very important. 
I could see Ecuador trying to set out for a draw here, but I don't think they'll get it. I'm going to go for the Dutch to win 1-0. I will go a surprise early goal uh, for the Netherlands, and I think that that will force Ecuador to have to come out a bit more. So I'll go for 2-0 Netherlands. And then moving on to the final game of the day, England vanquishers of Iran by six goals to two versus the USA, who played better than I expected against the Welsh and actually gave me pause for thought that maybe they're the team who finds their way through in second place from this group. Harry Kane looks like he's fit to play, picked up obviously a bit of a knock in the Iran game. The one thing I will say, Carl, England cannot afford to be as open in midfield as they were against Iran, because even in that route, Iran found their way through that English midfield far too easily on far too many occasions. There's no defensive balance in a midfield three of Bellingham, Rice and Mount. England have to be more careful in this game because the Americans have the dynamism and the talent to hurt them. I thought you were going to end that sentence half early and just say there's no defence and then stop, um, because that would also be quite accurate at times, to be honest. Uh, the defensive balance in midfield, as it is, though, I, I agree, but I don't see anything changing in this. I think I think it's OK if you kind of have Bellingham as that third one, but then you probably need to alter who Mount is. And there isn't really anyone unless Calvin Phillips is remarkably fit. Uh, and I don't expect there to be too many changes, to be honest. So. I think that it will be a case of England trying to out-attack USA quite a lot. I think USA are pretty decent set up for uh, some good speed through the middle. Maybe one of the midfields got changed. Moose has had a bit of a knock. Uh, Weston McKinney, I think, had a bit of a knock as well. So maybe someone like Roldan comes in who gives them a bit more um, aggression and ball-winning ability in that midfield, but also quite good at playing the ball through the lines. And like you say, if he's not shut down very, very quickly or if... Nobody gets particularly close to Tyler Adams. and He's very good at bursting into space and then playing the ball into the channels. I think that that is where USA can hurt England. But to be perfectly honest, I do see quite a a big gap between how good England's attack is and how good USA's defence is, even in terms of organisation. Mm. As long as England's speed of play is OK and it's not all this very dull defeat and everyone comes short and everyone's in front of the defence and all that, which is fine. It's fine to keep hold of the ball, but you don't get anywhere with it. England, I should say, don't get anywhere with that. They don't have enough like legit incisive passes in the final third to just be one touch and turn it back the way you go and play the way you face and all the rest of it. They need the runners in behind. They need it to be much, much quicker, be able to clip across or try one in behind uh, between two defenders, that sort of thing. So they really need it to be quick. And if it is, I think they have enough very good forwards to win this game anyway. Yeah, the big weakness in this US team is absolutely the two at centre-back. Zimmerman is a bit of a cart horse and Tim Ream is a full-blown cart horse. If England can get pace and movement in around Kane, give the ball into his feet and go beyond, they will have a lot of joy in this game. I, I can see Sterling having quite a lot of success breaking into the middle against that US defence. I'm going to go 3-1 to England. Yeah, I think that might be accurate, to be fair. I'll go a little bit less, um, just in case England's finishing is not of a, a clinical nature. I'll go for a 2-1. I guess USA are going to give England a bit of a scare at times. And like we've said, the, the defence is not exactly rock steady, is it? So I'll go no. with them to score, but 2-1. Yeah, the English defence will give themselves a scare at times. Right, time for plugs. What have you got? 
Um, God, what have we got? Oh, yeah, England versus uh, USA. I've had a nice, lovely, long talk with Alexi Lalas ahead of a Thanksgiving grudge match. And my word, he had plenty to say on England. So that. Alexi Lalas never won without plenty to say. Right, that will do us. We'll see you all again tomorrow. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.